Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 today. Okay, <clears throat> so once again, we're in the midst of trying to figure out how we multiply ourselves out. Remember, the whole point of this series and things that we've been talking about is becoming exponential. Exponential is a multiplication, all right? In other words, we're to take our lives and we're not just to add to it, it's to multiply out through us. It says that God takes what we have and he breaks it and he multiplies it out. It's just like when he fed the 5,000. He took the fishes and the loaves, didn't seem like that there was a whole lot there, and he just multiplied it out and it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. It's the same way with us. When we look at ourselves, we go, hey, there's not a whole lot here. And so when we look and say, well, there's not a whole lot here, or we don't have that much time left, or I don't know what's going on with my life. I've got so many other things that are happening outside that, that weigh me down and hold me down. I can't focus. I can't do all these things. God looks beyond all of that. He looks through all that, like this fog today, and you know that the natural, what's out there, there's something farther and greater than, and beyond this than we can ever amount, imagine. God takes this and he multiplies this out. And we have no understanding of that. Who knows what those children that are in that back room back there are capable of through, for the kingdom of God? And so we go back there and we pour into their lives. And so we have vacation Bible school and we do the things that we do each and every year thinking that, oh, it's the same thing over and over. It's routine, it's routine, it's routine. It's not routine. God says that we are to labor and we're going to talk about that today. But when we do that, it is not in what? It's not in vain at all, okay? So what we're doing when we look at the exponential part of this, we've broken it down into three different areas. We've looked at the eternal area, which is the spiritual part of this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The spiritual aspect of that is our soul. So love the Lord your God with your soul. Then we looked at the internal portion of this, okay? The things that we need to work on ourselves to get right so that when we go out and share our relationship with others, it's a true picture of what God has in relationship with his children. The internal part was our heart and our mind, right? Heart is first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We must have an emotional connection, a relationship with our creator. And once we establish that, he transforms our heart. He takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. There's, he takes out our spirit, our will, and he gives us the Holy Spirit, which gives us God's will and God's intent for our lives, all right? And then once that happen, happens, there needs to be a transformation of our mind. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And so as we looked at last week, we saw that there needs to be a transformation of our thought processes, of who we are and how we live. If you are a sinner or lost and you live this way, repentance means that you turn and you go 180, the complete and total opposite direction. That's what that means. So we leave those things behind. And so mentally, there has to be a transformation of who we are. We have to take out all the junk that the world puts in, and we have to replace that with what God's word tells us who we are. So we listen to our heart as God speaks to our heart. But we do not listen to our heart in natural flesh because the heart is deceitful and above all else, it will fail us. So when we say, my heart tells me to go do this, but the Lord may be telling you to go do something totally different. Listen to the Lord. Please tell, let me hear you, hear you say yes to that, all right? Because if we listen to our own flesh and our own heart, it will always lead us astray. Because we tend to take the what road? The hard road or the easy road? 
<laughs> easy road. We take the easy way out. And God's intention for us is not always that. I heard then the great story that was used at the women's Bible study about when the uh, caterpillar comes out, right, to become a butterfly, you can't open that up, can you? It has to struggle to make its way out of that. Otherwise, it comes out and it's too fat. <laughs> it's too bloated with it. It doesn't get all the, the uh, I guess, liquids that need to come out of it from that state so that it can fly. There's no way that it will, will do that. So if you snip that and make it easier for the, the metamorphosis to take place, then it won't be a true metamorphosis. And so we have to understand that sometimes we have to go the hard road. But sometimes we have to do the difficult things. And in doing those things, that's what makes us complete. So that's the internal process. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And today we're going to look at strength, okay? So we're turning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Now we know all about what it says before this, right? It says that we were lost, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, but God, being rich in his mercy, saved us from that. And we were saved by what? What's the word? It's a G word. Grace. We're saved by grace. Faith was a part of that. You're exactly right. But the scripture says right there in that particular section, saved by grace. It's not of ourselves, right? So for by grace, verse 8 says, you have been saved through faith. Because see, you're, you were right. Faith was part of that. And not to yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, in which we are prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So look, before we talk about this, talk about uh, the point is going to be in just a second function. Before we get to that, I want you to see the order. Now, we've seen that the Great Commission tells us to go, therefore, into all the nations. What? Making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. That's what Scripture says. So we've looked at those verbs and stuff before as well. So the four verbs that were there were go, make, teach, and baptize. But there's one verb that is the most important, and that was make. So it was make disciples. That is the imperative. Our job here, our function, is to make disciples. The only way that we make disciples is, is that we can't create a Christian. You can't birth a Christian. You're not a Christian by heritage or by your lineage. You're a Christian by faith and faith alone in Christ Jesus. So for us to make disciples is that we take the word of God that's been implanted in us and then we take that out into the world and allow God to multiply himself through us. Okay, so when it says this right here, that there's no way that we can save someone by our good works, that's what it's telling you. It's telling you that by grace, you've been saved through faith. Not of anything that you've ever done. You don't deserve heaven. You haven't earned heaven. And so just by coming to church and checking the box and saying that you were at Mount Salem on a day when it snowed and there was ice fog that was in the area and we still trudged through it all so that we could get down to the house of God and hear pre preacher Tim preach. That is not going to get you into heaven. It's probably going to, the Lord's probably going to say, well, you didn't hear much that day, so I, you know, you know how are you going to get credit for that one? You know? So listen, nothing that we can do, giving money to someone who needs money, helping someone who's in need, none of those things get us into heaven. 
But we do them because the Lord tells us to do them as children of God. So they're our work. They are not our salvation. So I know that the Great Commission says for us to go first, but go is actually the last thing that we do. So now that we have had a spiritual relationship with God, and now that God has transformed our heart and our mind, we are fit to go out and to serve him. And so as, that's why he tells us that not to send babes in Christ out. And I want you to think about this. Think about the time that Jesus spent with his disciples. As Jesus spent all this time with his disciples, what did he do? He built them up. At first, every time that they went out, Jesus did all the miracles. Jesus did everything. And then later on in the ministry, he started sending them out two by two. And then he started sending them out one by one. And as, as their ministry and their mission and as their purpose and as their understanding grew to some extent, it wasn't full yet. But still, he began to give them a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more things that they should be doing. And he gave them opportunities. And that's the same way he does for us. If we don't have opportunities in our lives to serve God, then it needs, and it's back on us, then we need to back the truck back up and start working on our heart and our mind. Because if God has not given us opportunities to reach out to other people in the world, then there's still things that we've got to get correct before God can fully use us the way he intends to use us and wants to do. So our function, our purpose, is this physical aspect of strength and, strength and effort. There is purpose in our work. We labor. But we've already seen and I've already shared with you, we don't labor in vain. Everything that we do, even as mundane as it seems, has intention in the kingdom of God. God is intentional. This is the first thing that I... My first class in a seminary... Let me just tell you about my seminary experience for, for just a second. Seminary was put into years, one, two, three, and four. Well, the year that I started was year four. So I didn't have all the biblical foundational stuff... I started in the practicum in the year. Do you get that? So I started in the year that you put things into practice without all the biblical foundation stuff. It's just when I started seminary. It's just, it's just how the cookie crumbled or how it fell, right? And so my first class, the book that I had to read first in seminary was called Intentional Minister. And so that was the book that was for the class that I was supposed to be. And I was writing papers about the end product when I didn't even know about all the other stuff yet. But I will tell you this. I was already in ministry. I was already had been a student pastor for six years. I already had some idea. I already had been in the work field for six years. And so I knew what was going on. I knew how to speak to kids. I knew how to uh, share the, my faith. I knew what the gospel was. I had gone on mission trips. I had taken kids to camp. I had been in all these places. I had the foundation that I needed to go and do that class. But I thought it was really wild that the first book that I read in seminary was Intentional Minister. Because I think that so many times in ministry, we have no intentions whatsoever. And we're not intentional about anything we do. 
But there's purpose to what God does. And in fact, in that time and in, that, in those days, there was this guy. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of him. His name's Rick Warren. Have y'all ever heard of Rick Warren? Anybody ever heard of Rick Warren? He wrote this little book. It was called What Driven Church? Does anybody remember? Purpose Driven Church. And so this revolution was coming on in the church at that time about finding out what it meant for the church to have purpose and meaning. And who it is. And in fact, on Wednesday night in the book of Acts where we're at, we're going to start looking at those purposes. This Wednesday night, if we can get to it, depending on how long conference and all that stuff, we will start looking at all the purposes of the church that are given to us in the book of Acts chapter 2. And so God has an intention, not only for us as individuals, but for us as a Bible-studying, purpose-driven church, a part of his body. We're intentional. He's intentional. So we're not just floating around aimlessly trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. There are different ways to do it, but the things that we do are all the same. So if God has purpose in who we are, and if that is for us to labor for him, what does that labor look like? Who are we supposed to be? So we all have different gifts We all have different strengths. We all have different functions. But this is what this looks like, all right? Luke chapter 10, verse 2 says this. He was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the first thing I want you to see is that your job is to go out in the fields. You are a harvester. You are a laborer. But at the same time, you are also one who should be asking the Lord to send out more people into the harvest and more people to be laborers. Who do you share your faith with? How do you share your faith? Do you share your faith through emails and that's the way that you communicate with folks nowadays or through text and that's the way that you communicate with people? Do you do it through face-to-face contact? Do you do it when you're out walking? Do you do it when you're out on the way doing your grocery shopping and little things like that? I can tell you this right now. He's not here today, but Brother Paul shares his faith no matter where he is and in what situation that he is in. You know, it just naturally comes out. It doesn't always come out that way for a lot of us, right? Some of us are introverted like me. I'm so introverted. I just can't. I'm a, I'm a true introvert, you know. I don't like to talk to anybody at all. So as a part of our conversations and a part of who we are, sometimes it's difficult. We have to overcome that. If you're introverted and you don't like to communicate with people verbally, then you have to find other ways to be able to do that. Gabe gives away material. Gabe has bought and spent with his own money material and goes out and hands that out to people. Now, look, I know that back in the day we did that as tracks, and some of that looks different today. Okay, so I don't, you know, some of you may have grown up leaving tracks at the table for your waitress and different things like that as you've left restaurants, all that kind of, I'm not telling you that that, that is bad or wrong. I'm saying you to you that it looks a little different today. Tracks are not tracks. They're more like little big booklets or something like that. And you can still buy them and leave them. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. But, you know, some of us were raised that way. 
I know it. And so the thing about it is, is that even as we live in a culture today, that's more closed off to that. So that, that increases the degree of difficulty for us. So we have to start thinking outside the box. If the things that used to be done a certain way and it was easy for us culturally and as a community of God to go and do this, and it now all of a sudden that's gone and that's changed. People have changed. And you're exactly right. But there's always a point of need. You know, one of the cool things is, is to ask maybe a waiter or a waitress if they have a prayer request before. We're about to pray for our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you for? Because I will tell you this. People will tell you what's wrong with them in about two seconds. You know, they'll lay their stuff on you in a hurry. And then you can say, hey, that's really cool. I'll, we will take that to the Lord in our prayer. We'll be praying for you for that. And Marcia does that all the time. And that's one of the ways that she communicates. That's a way of taking what we have and purposefully reaching out into the public and into the world with the kingdom of God. That is multiplying ourselves out. Now, are we going to see the fruits of that? No, we won't. I do believe in the next few weeks, we will see those waters stirred. And I'm going to tell you this. We'll see the waters stirred in the baptismal pool. But all we're going to see while I'm standing in that baptismal pool is the end product. We won't see the years of vacation Bible school and family and friends who taught, went back there on Sunday mornings and spoke to the children that might be giving their lives to the Lord, that might be getting into that pool. And so I get to stand up there and I get to see the end of that and we see the end of that. But there's been a ton of labor. Somebody had to go into the field and really work that. And we talked about this a little bit last week. I hadn't even touched the outline. Boy, y'all need me to teach Sunday school before I get here on Sundays, right? Because if I, if I don't teach Sunday school, I'm just too wound up. All right? So here this morning, I want you to think about this. So back in the day, 50, 70 years ago, the major business in, the, in our nation was crops. We were farmers. We talked about this some, I think, was it Wednesday night or last Sunday? Wednesday night, we were talking about this. The major thing, that's why church is at 11 o'clock. Everything that we do, that's why we had Sunday night service. I know that y'all probably don't realize how we got all this. We got all this because that's what was done culturally. The farmers got up, went and worked the fields, farmed, milked the cows, fed the chickens, everything they needed to do early in the morning. Then they went to church. Then they would go back in the afternoon, do it all again, and come back in the evening. That's how we ended up with 11 o'clock services and 6 o'clock services on Sunday night. It was, is that the culture today? That's no way, shape, form, or fashion. We're like 5% people farm these days, and they feed us all and everybody else throughout the world because we've become so efficient and effective in that. So, but culturally, everything's changed. So why do we have to do church at 11 o'clock? Why, does it, why do we have to come back at 6? Do You see, we're not adapting and understanding how we can culturally connect and make the changes that we need to. In fact, right down the road, one of our churches has a Monday night service. Is that not crazy? They have church on Monday night. You know who that's for? All the people that work on the weekends. So all the people that have to pull shifts on the weekends 
In fact, Brother Nathan Bird's son goes to one of those churches and works it on Monday night because he has a, what does he have, like a, a wedding place, a place where he opens up and people have all kinds of um, functions and stuff at the place that he owns, and he's busy every single weekend. That's when his, the major part of his business is done, is on the weekends. So he goes to this church, works it on Monday night. It's still labor. It's still serving. And I know it's not the Sabbath. But we don't honor the Sabbath anymore, do we? We live in a culture that doesn't honor the Sabbath. We're honoring the Sabbath. I'm not saying that for us as followers of Christ. What I am saying is that we have to adapt. It's not to, to um, change the message. It's not to water down what we're trying to do. But it is trying to adapt to see how we can better do it. In the culture as it changed. Otherwise, we're just going to be swept aside. And the work that we're doing, if we continue to do it the same way, becomes insanity. Do y'all remember that? You know, that's the definition of insanity. Do what? Continue to do the same thing over and over and think that's going to produce different results. And, or is it, ludus, is it lunacy or insanity? It's one of those words, right? What is it? It's all the same. It's all the same. That's right. It's all the same. So, would y'all like me to continue back on the outline now? All right, right, we'll do that. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10 says this, Discipline yourself for the purposes of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Since it holds the promise of the present life and the life to come, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For this, for this is what we labor and strive for. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. I'm a sinner. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be confessional right here. My family bought me this Fitbit. And this thing is running my life, man. It has these little loops and stuff, and I have to close them every day. And so yesterday, it was sleeting outside, and I was walking up and down my, trying to get my heels in. It was sleeting outside, and tomorrow comes to the door and goes, You're an idiot. What are you doing? And I was like, I need to get my steps in because I got to go up and down these hills because I got to close this loop. This is kind of people we are. This is why we like to serve in religions that give us stuff to do and check the box and then we go on about our lives. This is why Jehovah's Witnesses come out to your house every Saturday because their people tell them that they have to do all of this to get into heaven. This is why Mormons give 10% of all of their money so that they can go and do special things at the special temples in certain places. I don't know if y'all read this. Go look it up. They now believe that the fund that the Mormons have is worth $100 billion. That's twice as large as Harvard's fund, which as far as we know publicly, because they don't publicly know this. This is just people coming out from the inside now telling us how much money's in this fund. Harvard's fund is the largest public-private endowment where you know what's going private endowment in the world and this this fund if it's a hundred billion is twice as big the church sitting on a hundred billion dollars over there why because their people are out there giving all that money because it's what they've been told they have to do to go and do these special things in their faith so do you want me to do that do you want me to stand up here and say Look, I'll be a televangelist then, won't I? If you give, 
I can buy a plane. I can get here a whole lot quicker than just driving on the road. Help a brother out. You see, we're okay with this kind of thought process because this is, this is to us as an ends to a, a mean to an end. And we see that. But if we sit here and the Lord tells us to tithe, we go, well, that's an optional thing. That was Old Testament. <laughs> you know, you're right. New Testament, he says, give it all. Go sell your property and donate the whole thing. Go, old, go New Testament on me, all right? So you see what I'm saying here? This labor is about godliness. It's becoming about becoming more like God in who we are. What does God tell us to do? How does God tell us to act? That's what our life is about. Purpose of godliness. Not following a Fitbit. It ain't making me better. I'm one day closer to death. Haven't y'all sung that song before right now? One day older and closer to death. That's me. This may make me fitter, but it ain't making me more like God. And though I might work real, real hard to close this loop every day and say that I did this and check out that box and to see the stars go, and then go to tomorrow and go, look at this. This is amazing. I walked 50 miles last week. 50 miles! That ain't getting y'all name nothing for y'all. That's a lot. Let me just tell you. That's no, I ain't getting no praise for none of that. I'll just move on. So 2 Timothy, it says on your outline 2.14, but that's a typo from Tim. So it should be 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent. Present yourself and approve to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So look, notice the progression here. We go out and we labor into the harvest field, which God says is wide unto harvest. And then he tells us how to do that. Do that in a godly way. Let me tell you what that looks like. If you go and read the passages right around that, it'll tell you what godliness looks like, all right? And so then he says this. He says this, be able to what? Being approved by God as a workman, not ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So you got to know what the Bible says. So when all these work-based faiths, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims, it's all work-based. When they come to you and tell you that you've got to go do these things, you've got to be able to handle accurately the word of truth. You've got to be able to go to your Bible and, and show them where it says this differently and know what your Bible says about this. So when they feed you this stuff, that you can accurately go back and have a communication with them. But what do we do? Here they come. Close the door. Turn off the lights. Hide. They'll go away. Until next Saturday. But I tell you this, if you open your door, because I've done this, <laughs> I've done, open the door, come on in. Can I get you a sandwich? Would you like a drink? No, you can tell me whatever you want to tell me, but I'm a minister and I'm going to tell you what I know as soon as we're done. And they go, see ya. In fact, one time I was downstairs studying for a message and, and Tamar sent six of them away. I went walking down the court after them. I was like, hold it, ladies. Y'all come on back. All of you, come on back. Come on back and sit at my house. 
sit at my table. Let's talk about this. And they said, no, no, we're good, we're good. This guy's chasing us, let's go. <laughs> Another one was a Mormon, came into my house, walked onto the property with his grandson while I was cutting grass. I stopped what I was doing, listened to what he said, told him the good news and the gospel. He didn't have an answer at all. His grandson in front and sitting right there with him, he was just like unbelievable. Somebody's talking to my grandfather about this and he has no clue how to answer and talk to them back. And I was like, God can use this kid right here. This is what we have to do. We have to be able as a workman, as somebody that God has purposed and intentfully an intentional minister to go out and to share his good news. Intentional about our lives and about who we are and about what our purpose is. Our purpose is not to divide, not to add, not to subtract from the gospel, but to multiply it out. And if we do these things, God will do it. The key to this is action. I'm going to move quickly through this. James chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 says this. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, can one of you say to them, go in peace and be warm and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body? What use is that? Even so, if faith has no works, it's dead, being by himself, being by itself. <clears throat> I'm a believer in Jesus. If I don't tell anybody about that, if I go to my grave knowing that and having that relationship and having done nothing to try to spread the gospel, that's what this, what good is that? I haven't fulfilled the mission of the gospel. So for all those people that tell you, I can just sit in a chair and listen to the TV preacher. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do anything. No, you can't. Take them right there. Take them to James. James says, your faith without works is a dead faith. Why? Because if there's no fruit on the tree, what did Jesus do? He chopped that tree down and said, throw it in the what? Fire. Get rid of it. So there has to be fruit in our lives. There has to be fruit as a church for us to say that we're a church. So in all of us, in who we are, activity is not to just go out and do something, but purposefully and intently doing what God has called us to in the kingdom each and every day, each and every week. That's what's going to produce fruit. It may take a long time. It may take a really long time in some cases. Then we have to persevere. Then we have to endure. There's all the other parts of the body. Then we have to sacrifice. Then we have to serve. All those other things that Scripture calls into to practice are as a part of this, which we're going to cover more on next week. Because next week, we're supposed to do what? Love our neighbor as ourselves. <laughs> Whatever. Have you seen my neighbor? You don't know my neighbor, Tim. Yeah. I know. It's hard. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 8 and verse 13 through 15. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. (laughs) 
I know I've worked harder than all these other preachers that I went to seminary with. Why are their churches bigger? See, that's what we do. Right? Look at that and say, compare our kingdom to everybody else's kingdom. We don't have a kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's their field and your field. What does your field look like? Don't worry about everybody else's field. Remember what Jesus said to Peter about that? Peter was looking at John and said, what about this one right here? What do you have for him, Lord? And Jesus said what to him at the end of the book of John? You don't worry about what I'm going to do with him. You need to be focused on what I'm going to do with you. What did he say about Paul? When Ananias came back and said, this guy has been hard on everybody. He's killing people. He's dragging them off to jail. He's putting them in prison. You don't worry about what's going to happen to you. I'm going to take care of you. You need to think about what I'm going to do to him and do with him. He did a great deal with him, but he went through a ton of junk. ton of junk. I'm going to tell you. I've never been stoned. Had people say bad things about me and do not uh, do some un, uh, mean stuff to me. But nobody's picked up a rock. Don't go outside right now. We don't need to start. <laughs> but what I'm saying is I haven't endured that. I'm going to say this because y'all could probably do this tomorrow if y'all want to. I've never been fired. He's been tossed out of town over and over again. I would, that's going to look bad on my resume. <laughs> tossed out of Flowery Branch, my Mount Salem Baptist Church. But they still love me. You see what I'm saying? He went through a ton of stuff. And then what did he do on his second missionary journey? He went right back to the people who threw rocks at him. The one who plants and the one who waters receives according to their own labor. Each man's work will become evident for the day it will show it because it's revealed by fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If that work in which he is built on remains, he will receive a reward. If a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved as though through fire. And then it goes on to say what kind of works that is. It's what? Gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble? What kind of work are you building with? What happens to gold and silver and precious stones when you heat them up? They're refined. They become pure. So the hotter it is in your life, the purer you're becoming. Or all the stuff that you work for is being burned up. So what are we laboring for? That which will remain or that which will not? Last one is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. I've told you this before. I'll close with this. So it's a repeat. Just don't flake out on me. I planted two churches. I spent almost 20 years of my life planting two churches. And if you went and asked someone denominationally if those were successful, they'd probably tell you no. In fact, 
I planted in both situations Southern Baptist churches, and both churches remained neither are Southern Baptist. So in Southern Baptist life, in the hierarchy of all of denominational life, I'm considered a failure. But I know that I've done what a lot of people would not do. And I also know that when I went into it, I knew that they weren't my churches. They're God's churches. And in two different places right now, I can go and I can drive by. And in fact, tomorrow night I had to go get our license renewed this past week. And we like to go to the one in between because nobody's ever there. So we go to the one in between. Well, that's where our first church plant was, is in between. So when we come out of the place where we get our license renewed and we go and we turn around, there's LifeBridge Church. LifeBridge Church is a Christian church. See, the church after I left sold the property and tried to replant and it failed. But LifeBridge Church is there. And on Tuesday morning, their parking lot was full. We kind of figured it was a women's Bible study or something like that that was going on. But we don't know what. But the desail lane, the parking lot, the modular units, the retention pond that I had to put a fence. I put a fence around a retention pond, and that thing is still standing. That's a God thing right there. <laughs> and all those places where my feet walked, they have no idea who I am. None. My name is on none of it. None. But they worship there every week. And on Tuesdays, they hold some kind of Bible study. And they have no clue who I am. And that's okay. That's not a failure. That's a win. It's just not like a win like everybody else thinks it's a win. And we got to be all right with that. We have to totally be all right with that. Because if we don't, then we'll be just chasing after what everybody else is chasing after. And we will lose our sense of purpose. And we will no longer labor. Let's score the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day and for the opportunity in which we have to come here and to be a part of your kingdom work. And Father, I just praise you for who you are and, and for the life that you've given each one of us. And Father, I pray that with the talents and gifts and experiences and all the things of how you've molded and shaped us, that you will take that this week and that you, you will use it for your glory and for your kingdom. Father, I thank you for the blessings of life. I thank you for uh, the ability to be able to stand up in front of people and to speak about you. No one knows in this room that in my first speech class, my first speech in college, I stood up in front of the entire class and froze. Entire class and froze. So you took someone who had stage fright and didn't want to stand in front of everybody else, and you turned that into something that's usable and moldable and shapeable for your kingdom. You can do that with any of us. I pray today that you will continue to use this to glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, I want to say this.